Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you wanna mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you wanna jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Hello, Bengals fans. I am Matt Minnick. Welcome to Shark Talk. Joining me today, you know him from Football Outsiders and Cincinnati Magazine, Rob Weintraub. Rob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Yeah, definitely uh, You know, good to catch up a little bit and catch up with the Bengals. Um, you know, maybe not the huge splashes into free agency that we, we may have dreamed of. Um, you know, no, no Joe Thune homecoming, and they really teased us with the Kenny Gola Day thing, man. I mean, that was, that was one before everything before started. That was an amazing was like, 24 hours, that's for sure. Like, I think I tweeted about him, like, once, like, before free agency, like, Kenny Gola Day would be a really good fit, but, like, I was here, people were saying he was going to be, like, 20 million. I was like, all right, well, we're not going to pay that. Yeah. Like, um, but, uh, yeah, it, apparently it was actually kind of close. And uh, anyway, so things have changed though. <laughs> so, uh, that's what we'll get into kind of a, kind of a roster update. Uh, see where, where we're at is we're only a few short weeks away from the draft here. And of course we'll start with the quarterback p- uh, position. Um, they, have made two moves here, um, and one was dealing Ryan Finley in order to move a seventh-round pick into the sixth round, and uh, and then the second was uh, bringing back bringing back excuse me uh, Brandon Allen uh, as the backup quarterback. Uh, but you know we were just talking a little bit off air. This there's obviously the concern about Burrow himself. Uh, coming off of injury. So what do you what do you think about the status currently of that position group overall? Yeah, I you know, I hate to be Debbie Downer just coming right off of this. It's just weird to me that we're all just as Bengal Nation just basically assuming that, you know, Joe will be A-OK and, you know, we see these videos every now and again. They get posted and there was one just yesterday. We're doing this on April Fool's Day and they, they did uh, – the Cincinnati Twitter feed did a little, uh, you know, not an April Fool, and there was Joe heading out to the field to throw. And you know, I, I think we all feel a that, you know, uh, the, the injuries that he had are in this day and age certainly not uh, by any stretch un- irrecoverable from or unrecoverable from, whatever the word is. And you know, I think we also feel that Burrow sort of has a certain amount of extra juice in terms of, you know, working out harder than the average guy and being able to rehab, uh, you know, super well and all that. But I, I just it just seems weird to me that we're all just assuming he's going to be just fine and the quarterback that he was, you know, the first half of the season last year before the injury happened and everything that all the moves are being made just in accordance to him being right back on the field, A-OK, 100%, no issues. I certainly hope that's the case. I mean, I guess we have history with Carson Palmer had a much later in the season, postseason even injury at this of a similar nature, came back and threw for four thousand yards when that was not an automatic thing. And uh, you know he seemed for the most part to be the same old Carson. And I think if he, you know, told the truth, there were still a few games early in the season where he was a little hesitant. And, and I guess the main reason I I feel the way I do with Joe is that 
so much of what makes them special is, is you know, is off-platform creativity and ability to make guys miss and to just, you know, plant that leg down and do things that he's been doing his whole life. And now he will not have that confidence, at least for a while, to be able to do that. And I just wonder how long that's going to last and, and you know, where he's going to be and if he's even going to be ready for opening day. I mean, we assume he will, but that's no guarantee for sure. So, you yeah. know, I just want to – I don't want to throw cold water in anybody's feelings. You know, it's the uh, the time of year when we all have great hopes, certainly. And uh, I, I still in my heart of heart thinks that he'll be back for week one and he should be certainly the Joe Burrow we came to know and love. Uh, but if it doesn't happen right away and if it certainly if it takes him, you know, half a season – 12 games to, you know, really rebound to the player that he always has been, the, the Heisman Trophy winner and number one overall draft pick t- type talent, you know, that would hardly be a shock. So I just think, you know, I guess I'm here to, you know, remind everyone in, in the fan base that we do have a, a star quarterback coming off a pretty severe injury and not to, uh, not to just overlook that when we talk about, you know, what the Bengals are going to be in 2021. Yeah, I used to – I coached a guy once who had a couple injuries that should have, like, taken him out for weeks in a, in a season, and it would be, like, one of those things where he'd get this injury and the trainers would be like, oh, he's going to be down for weeks. And, uh, and then, like, two days later, he'd be fine. And uh, <laughs> so we, we, we called him JoJo, and we used to joke around, like, Whenever, whenever somebody get injured, you hear something, be like, "I oh, just rub some JoJo blood on it." Yeah, you, know, you get the JoJo blood, you're good to go. <laughs> so, uh, I think that's what we feel because, you know, really, Joe Burrow has taken such a, a superhuman status, um, particularly in this fan base, uh, and probably in the LSU fan base as well. That you know, right. I think we tend to think of him as, as, "Oh, of course he's gonna be fine." It's Joe. You know, if anybody yeah. can heal that fast, it's gonna be him. But I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the fact of the matter is that. We don't know, and you know everybody's different, and everybody, every injury is different, every recovery process is different, and you know there there could potentially be some hiccups. So uh, we might be riding the Brandon Allen train uh, in <laughs> December next year, for 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 better or worse. There, um, yeah. I mean, really, at the end of the day, like you know, it might be a two quarterback deal if he is healthy. Um, other than that. You know, I mean, I could see them taking a flyer on a guy in the in the later rounds because they, you know, they have a couple um, extra later picks there in that in that type of area. Um, and and Zach Taylor yeah. kind of alluded to that too. That yeah, if we see a guy we like, we'll take him. Sure, um, and they might bring a guy in, uh, you know, for, who's a free agent still, you know, uh, in the way Brandon Allen came in sort of late uh, in yeah. the process a couple years back, and I would not be surprised at all. Certainly for you know, training camp slash preseason games, I think there's yeah. you know, sort of an automatic they'll be bringing in another body. Whether it's a, a body that's going to stick in any capacity is another story, but, uh, you know, just for just for roster feeling, I don't think there's any doubt they're going to bring in another quarterback. Uh, whether it's a rookie sure. or just somebody with a, some experience, that'd be good. Because um, Brandon Allen, I, you know, <laughs> another guy – we kind of are like, oh, we're fine with Brandon Allen. He was cool. He was awesome against the Texans last year. And it's like, yeah. Then the other games, he was really pretty bad. <laughs> you know, you look yeah. at him from the outside, you're like, oh, this guy, you know, he's lower level backup, I guess you'd have to say. And not that the Bengals were, you know, in the market to go out and spend $10 million on 
Ryan Fitzpatrick or something like that, I, I, you know, to back up Burrow, I mean, I would have been, part of me would have been okay with that, frankly, but, I, you know, they were never going to do that. But I, I, I mean, you think that Harvard degree, though, you know? Yeah, that's <laughs> impressive stuff. <laughs> I, and, you know, it's it's no better than an LSU degree, not in the locker room. Uh, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's just, it's, I don't want to say delusions uh, set in, but yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of dissimilar feeling like with we just assume Burrow will be A-OK and just fine. We're all similarly feeling, oh, Brandon Allen, yeah, good backup. He had that one awesome game. You know, it's it's, <laughs> it's another case where we're really – you know, if we're relying on Brandon Allen in any capacity next year, we got problems. You know, and if that means it's because Burrow is still rehabbing and is not ready to play, or whether he goes down again, short term or long term. Obviously, if he goes down long term, it doesn't matter who you have as a backup quarterback. The season's kind of yeah. shot. But you know, <laughs> you could make the argument it's better to have the bad backup quarterback in that case because he doesn't win you a couple of meaningless games and lose your draft position. But these are not discussions we want to be talking about right now. I I, I gathered that. But uh, Sure, know, let's, I, get out again, of the, let's get out of the top ten next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's do whatever we can to at least be in the mid-round. Um, yeah, I, I just think there's a lot better quarterbacks out there than Allen. But, you know, I know coaches certainly value familiarity with the system, and he knows the terminology. He, he does have the talent. I mean, we did see him play. You know, there's there are plenty of backup quarterbacks in the league who don't have even a single game as good as he played against Houston. Now, yeah. obviously, it was a terrible defense that J.J. Watt basically tearfully called out after the game for their lack of effort. But still, you, know, <laughs> you have to make the throws, and he did. So, I mean, he's not the yeah. absolute worst backup quarterback, but and he's better than Ryan Finley. I'll give him that. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 I think don't the think familiarity – Tops. The familiarity to me is a big thing because, you know, yeah. you're still dealing with Burrow is, you know, he only played half a year, basically. Yeah. So, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to bring in a new guy and really give him, assuming Joe is healthy and able to, you know, participate fully, you're not going to be giving them a lot of reps during training camp anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, I, they are kind hopefully of there's a preseason. Uh, <laughs> you know, this year makes things a little bit different, but um, I, I got to me was why Finley was the number two last year, at least in name, was because, well, he's been here and we're giving Joe all the reps. And, you know, but all along, it was like when they brought Brandon Allen, I'm like, all right, well, if the shit hits the fan, it's Brandon Allen over Brian Finley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, they probably don't get enough credit for how, you know, smartly they, they went about the whole um, – uh, COVID quarterback uh, situation with Allen and, and keeping him from everybody else and everything, you know, like the the Broncos and some of these other organizations could have uh, yeah. learned a lesson from that. No um, doubt, but that's that's very true, and it's a good point. I mean, and just the the fact that they picked them up and you know that they were familiar with them, obviously Taylor knew them, but uh, you know that's not a that's a good body to bring in. It was a good arm that they saw uh, was available and they saw Finley play the year before and they were like, what's not to sit back just because we know Finley and he knows the system we can upgrade. And they did, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, just not Brandon Allen, but he was definitely, like I say, better than Finley. Uh, although Finley will always have, you know, the Pittsburgh game. He'll always have a, a warm place in our hearts yes. for that, that, that moment. Uh, the picture of him grinning uh, will live on. Smile. 
Exactly. Yeah, uh, that was, I kind of, I kind of wish he was. Him, I kind of wish he was still on the roster, just so we could have that blown up and like hanging from somewhere in the stadium. <laughs> uh, they'll never do. And it they got a, they got a, you know, a decent trade for him. I mean, most guys of his capacity yeah. just get cut. You know, they actually uh, didn't get a ton back, but like you said, they, you know, they flopped up into the sixth round for him. That's that's not nothing, and you know, it kind of yeah. depends on who they draft, I suppose. But you know, mm-hmm. it's like has the makings of one of those deals where they pick somebody who winds up being a really good player and it's like, oh, thanks, Ryan Finley again, you know, so let's hope that that works out uh, in that way. <laughs> That's true, you know, and, and they definitely have some, some depth needs which we'll get into in a little bit here, but so, you know, we talked about the back of quarterback situation, we talked about Burrow's health, so naturally we transition to the offensive line, Bobby Hart is gone, um, Riley <laughs> Reef is in, and, um, you know, Riley Reef. Maybe not what he once was, but, you know, a definite improvement there. And, you know, a guy that's got some good experience and, and still pretty, playing at a pretty high level. Um, Quentin Spain returning. Um, really nothing else going on at the guard position, though. Uh, and, you know, that was for as much as we love to troll Bobby Hart in this, fr- in this fan base. Um, I'm going to – The guard's you know, worse. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to carefully mince my words here, but, like, he was not terrible all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he had his best NFL season. <laughs> I, I think I could say that for, for what that's worth. Um, and, yeah, the problems really that they had with the protection were, were mostly from the interior. Um, on, on a similar note to the Burrow situation, you've got Trey Hopkins hopefully yeah. returning from injury on time. Um, and Trey Hopkins was your – second best offensive lineman on the team last year, probably. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what do you think of the state of that group? A lot of thoughts there, a lot of thoughts. And also, uh, before we get into the details, we should figure out where are we on the Riley Reef nickname. Is it Great Barrier Reef? Do you like that? I, I, uh, there was a Red Reefle possibility, but I guess it doesn't quite work. It's more of a plan. Uh, yeah. word that looks I'll, good print, but not necessarily. Yeah, the Great Barrier what Reef. Is, I was trying to get Reefer Madness going, but it's, <laughs> it's obviously problematic. Um, but uh, not bad at all. Uh, yeah, you know, movie, I by the way, the, the, the old school one that was like an actual propaganda movie. Yeah, it was, it was hilarious when you watch it in modern day. <laughs> exactly. and, uh, and, I, and I owe a great debt to my college uh, sociology professor that showed me that. But uh, <laughs> probably on YouTube now. So check out, check out the, the, the 1920s, 1930s Reefer Madness or whatever it is. It's but, a classic. No question. Um, uh, yeah, so I think I wrote at some point about Bobby Hart that he, was, he took so much vitriol and so much, you know, abuse from the fan base that he was actually underrated by that point. He, he yeah. definitely was not the worst link on the line last year, as you said. I mean, I'm still in the, you know, I'm still good riddance to bad baggage mode for with him, but, yeah. uh, you know, there were, I would, there were I would worse guys there. I would put up a clip somebody else. Like, I put up a clip of, like, Jonah Williams, like, you know, I'd, and I'd be talking about Jonah Williams' block, and somebody would be like, oh, man, heart's awful here, and I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. No, it's actually a pretty good block. By <laughs> yeah. you know, like it was just there was so much negativity towards him. It was just like he couldn't do anything right, uh, even when yeah, occasionally I, he did. <laughs> well, I, I, we have a, a blown blocks stat. Uh, football outsiders mm. based on charting, and 
you know, Hart was not uh, too much worse than uh, than Reef. I hate to say it. It was only a matter of two or three blocks. Some of that is mm. semantics, what you consider a blown block. And I don't think anybody doubts that Reef overall is much more talented and has a much better pedigree than Hart. But you know, we're not talking about going uh, to Trent Williams here. Um, sure, you know, he's, Reef's an upgrade, but not a massive upgrade. And uh, as you say, the guard. Now, to me, the biggest off-season change. And what gives me the most optimism about the entire unit is the sacking, the long overdue sacking of Jim Turner and the hiring of Frank Pollock to bring him back for a triumphant second phase as offensive line coach. You can certainly, of course, speak much more to the effect of, of an OL coach, you know, on the players and on the overall sort of, you know, cohesiveness of the unit than I can. But it just seems to me that kind of look up and down the line even guys who played under Pollock and played well fell off uh you know and, and that we're not even talking about just sort of the personality and the uh the sort mm-hmm. of abusive nature of, of Turner's method of coaching that didn't seem to go over particularly well and just a mm-hmm. general you know kind of I think Pollock has proven it in various stops along the way that he's not just you know it's not just technique uh, in terms of just line coaching, but also in designing the concepts for the entire run game. And I think we saw that back in his first stop when he was here, and Joe Mixon, of course, with the big thumbs up the second he heard about it, and he's got to be happy. And uh, I think we'll see that hopefully you know, play a good role in upgrading what, you know, actually, you think about it, I mean, they have, what, three number one picks on the line now, right, and potentially a fourth coming in between Williams, Reef, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Price. Mm-hmm. Uh, the talent's there, obviously. Hopkins, will wait and see on his health, but yeah, we're also down on price. But he had a good year when Frank Pollock, a decent year anyway, when Pollock was coach. He did. I, you know, I was uh, actually really surprised when I, when I went back. Yeah. And I, I forgot how good he was in his rookie season. Um, uh, when, you know, when, I, when I went back to look at what Pollock's run game was with the Bengals again, um, yeah, I'd, I, I'd forgotten that he, he actually played pretty well that year. Yeah, and he played underpowered because I mean, you know, he's still kind of re- coming back and and playing it, you know, yeah, the pick injury, yeah. sort of seventy five, eighty percent of what he had, you know, really meant to play mm-hmm. at uh, for that season. So, I have hopes there. And you know, I, you mentioned uh, Quentin Spain coming back. I, I really think that was a very under the radar good move for them. Not you know, if he starts or, or winds up just being a rotational guy, either way, that's another guy I think. You know, we just sort of plugged him in and, and asked him to, you know, come in basically off the street last year. I <laughs> think, mm-hmm. given the the conditions he had to play under, he played yeah. pretty darn well. And I think, given him, you know, an entire off season, the usual way that most players get to, uh, you know, prepare for <laughs> a season and, and have a good coach uh, and and cohesion with the guys he's playing next to, and maybe once you know in a blue moon these guys can all stay healthy for. Much, much of the season, if not all the season. I think mm-hmm. Spain gives you uh, quite a bit. I, I, I don't feel, you know, if he winds up being the guy who, you know, winds up being the uh, one of the starting guards this year, I don't feel, you know, badly about that. I think I feel pretty comfortable with that, actually. So, you know, I, I, there's definitely guys in the draft here for sure that they'll add in there, get some talent boost, whether it's, you know, I don't know if we want to get into the whole Sewell debate versus Chase or Pitts uh, now or you know, mm. what we're thinking about the guys, obviously. We, that's going on and on and on. But, you know, well, well, the, the, yeah, there was a, a great uh, uh, you know, debate and a great uh, video on that on this channel 
uh, actually uh, just yesterday. So definitely check that one out. But uh, yeah, uh, Ethan you know, Zim uh, brought out all the all the big guns. Um, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> I, I was unable to attend. Unfortunately, but uh, my man, everybody from from uh, I mean, from Goodberry to uh, to Willie Anderson there. I mean, uh, oh man, really bringing out yeah. the big guns then if Willie's involved. Yeah, like that. yeah, and. Um, <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I've been um, I'm, I'm uh, dealing with a crazy kind of schedule right now, and, and I, I, I missed out on that. But uh, definitely check it out uh, over the on the Orange is the New Black, uh, uh, you know, podcast channel over there on YouTube. So, um, I mean, yeah, we won't, we won't get too deep into that. But, no, but, I mean, but there, I, there I, definitely I, is. Like, if you look at the offensive line, I, to me, there's like. First of all, guard like you can find a you, you can find a guard that's going to be a good solid guard for this team in the third round, um, but they're they're going to be there. Um, and you know sometimes you get lucky and you find them on day three. I think you want to wait for that. But um, so you know there's a lot of depth at, at, at that position, the the interior line, and really looking at the tackle position, I, I don't want to get too you know, you can't just say, "Hey, there's there's ten good tackles in the draft." Because I, I look at it, I feel like there are ten guys who I honestly wouldn't be shocked if went in the first round. You know, not that they're all going to, but it's like right. you know, like people that it wouldn't be like, "What? Who?" Um, and you know, then there's, then there's some other guys too that are kind of on the fringe of that. Who you know, it could be some pretty good prospects too. So yeah, like, will there be somebody there? In round two, if you take a chase in round one, yes. Is that necessarily the best pick? Is it necessarily the person you want? Um, you know, that's a different question. Because you can't just say, hey, we're going to get one of these ten guys. You know, you, you hope that the Bengals are looking at each player for who they are individually um, and, and that you're not going to be like, well, as long as we get one of them and then all of a sudden, you know, the, you know, the, the tackle from whatever school is there and you're like, all right, well, he was ranked in there, and you know if he's not a good fit for them, if it's not, if it's not one of the guys that they they really target, then you know you don't want to pull that trigger, and, and you also don't want to you want to be able to do what he did last year, which you know taking T Higgins uh, would you know getting him for that value at the top of the second round, um, and all of a sudden he's like your wide receiver two, maybe wide receiver one right now. <laughs> so, yeah, of um, you know, you want to be able to give yourself that, that, that flexibility a little bit and, and be open to it. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely talent at both those spots and, and the ability to do something there, whether it be a, a panty level type of move or not uh, in the draft. There's almost no way you can go wrong, isn't it? I mean, yeah, of course they'll find a way and watch them pick, you know, Patrick Sertan just to fuck with everybody, you know. <laughs> that would be hilarious. But, uh, you know, it's like kind of what you said. It, the question becomes, let's just say for argument's sake, uh, you take Chase or Pitts for that matter. You don't, you don't take mm-hmm. offensive line at number five because there are so many other players that are potentially going to be there. Now, you only feel like there's two or three of those guys that are worth you know, the pick you have at 38, and if it looks like you're afraid somebody else is going to take him, is it worth trading up to get that specific guy? Or do you, you know, if the mm-hmm. tackle you want isn't there, do you go just to throw a name out there, you know, a Creed Humphrey type who's an interior offensive lineman who 
you know, seems like he'll be available, but maybe, maybe not in that early second round stage. You know, there's there's just a lot of variables that, let's face it, I mean, the Bengals haven't necessarily proven themselves masters of, you know, <laughs> maxing their draft position and or moving up and down the board to get the guy they really want and having it work out. They They have been able to get guys they wanted, but it wasn't necessarily at, you know, the way of maybe getting more draft capital out of it or, or moving ahead of another team that was going to draft them. You mm. know, I think we all remember that Frank Ragnow was the guy they really wanted and, and he got picked right in front of Billy Price, et cetera, et cetera. It's happened many times. So, uh, you know, I'm optimistic in the sense that the real need to the Bengals is offensive line, obviously, and there's tons and tons of guys available in the draft. So, it's, you're hard-pressed to figure they won't come away with at least one and most likely two uh, top, I say, before before the four, fourth round or, or higher, no no higher than the fourth round. I think they'll go twice in the first four rounds at a minimum uh, at that position. I really do, um, you know, unless something untoward happens in the draft order. But I think that's what they're looking at, doubling up and doubling up high. But are they the right – two guys you know that's that's really yeah. what the question is going to be and of course we have no way of knowing that but um you know you, you sort of take that out of the equation i guess if you take sewell or even a slater mm-hmm. you know and then you automatically have one guy you really know is going to be good maybe not the, the best prospect but you know he's going to be you know a, a top prospect and then you know you, you take what falls you might not get the one mm-hmm. receiver you want in that case but in you know, it comes down to what what you feel is more important to build from. Personally, I think it's offensive line. Although I love Chase and I love Pitts, that would not be upset if they got either one of those guys. In fact, I've been furiously trying to figure out how to get all three of them on the Bengals: Pitts, Chase, and Sewell. <laughs> I think we can do it. Uh, but you know, it's just at this point, it's not just that they need to protect Burrow, and that's obviously mission one A, double A. Uh, from now until the end of his career, really. But, um, you know, it's just Cincinnati for so long has been, how do I put this delicately, they've been, you know, too much of a of a finesse team in the trenches and then concentrated on the perimeter to, to a fault, really. And, you know, mm-hmm. there have been occasional uh, exceptions to that, certainly under Marvin Lewis and Mike Zimmer in the, uh, in the early 2010s there when they made their playoff run, they were – they were stout up front on both lines, and I think they really need to recapture at least some of that. Right now, they're getting pushed around way too easily, and in this d- division, it just stands out so, sure. so much. You know, you have to build your team to your division, and I think, you know, it, much as I'd love a guy who's electrifying on the outside, right now I just feel like they need to be beefier, more powerful, stronger, all across the front lines and on both sides of the ball, especially the offensive line. So that's sort of where I come down. I can be talked out of it, and, you know, if they draft a Jamar Chase, I'm not going to dislike him or dislike the pick necessarily, but uh, that's sort of where I'm leaning, you know, a month before the draft. Yeah, I think you look at Penny, and, I mean, Penny just – he seems like a player that could just make such a large impact in every aspect of your offense. Um, And just – look, a lot of people are down on Jonah, like – Oh, I'm not. His rookie season was an injury from college. You know, 
this injury would not have been a season-ending injury if it happened earlier in the year. Like, it just kind of was poor timing. If they're, if they're in the playoffs, you would have played. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, I, I don't, I'm not ready to write him off as injury-prone uh, way some people are. And he did some really good things. Like, he's a freak athlete. Um, you know, we, the the block he put, picked up on the blitzer against Cleveland week two, you know, stands mm-hmm. out. It's just an absolute ridiculous play. And, and, like, can you imagine having two tackles like that? You know, right. Jonah and, and, and Sewell. And I honestly think because people say we'll put Sewell on the left side, I think Sewell should play on the right side. Um, number one, you played you play T.J. Watt who comes from that side. So, uh, you know, and, and, and you're in the shotgun all the time. So I don't see really that it's any more valuable to play left tackle in the pass game. Uh, and number two, most offenses, like, you tend to be right-handed in the run game. And um, I think Sewell probably, he's a little beefier, and I think he might actually be a, you know, a better run run blocker than, than Jonas. So I think there's advantages to, to having him in there. And, and, yeah, but having those two, uh, those two athletes uh, at that position would be pretty, pretty insane uh, to, to have guys that can move the way those two can. Yeah, I think about it, and, and they're not the same players necessarily, obviously, but, uh, you know, when Baltimore was cooking, when they had Stanley on one side and Brown on the other, and there's just a similar sort of dynamic where you have this real great technician on your left side, and yet it's had the physical monster on mm-hmm. the right, and... Mm-hmm. You know, it, the defense is put into a bind. They they don't have any edge, uh, you know, penetration or being able to get around you or set that edge on either side. And it just it puts the defense in such a box when you can, you know, have two guys that can, like you say, are so athletic and can move so much and, and get to the second level so so easily and so naturally, and they can do that on both sides. Then you really, you know, the defense doesn't know which way to turn because you can you can do anything you want uh, from either direction, and that just that really puts uh, puts your offense in such a great spot. Um, and well, I you can't think, play both of them on the left, like uh, like Orlando Brown. <laughs> like Orlando so. Brown. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested to see how they pull that off. That'll be interesting. Uh, just stack them. <laughs> we'll everything to this side. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean maybe it's. Um, not in the uh, corners of the uh, Twitterverse that I should be, but I, I mean, are people really writing off Jonah Williams? I mean, I think that's insane. The guy's been, you know, really good. I can write, you know, he hasn't had the chance to show it, and obviously, you know, he was I, first round I have pick, so that means he's Jonah's a bust, but I, you know, not. I, I don't put much <laughs> stock in it, but uh, yeah. but you, you know, like this fan base is like we're very sensitive to to rookies who get injured, yeah, uh, and rightfully so, no doubt. Um, so, you know, I think there's some fear there, but, um, yeah, I think whatever they do, I think that they need to leave him alone. And if it's Penn A, then they need to put him a tackle and Riley needs to get kicked inside because. Yeah, which I have no problem doing. From a teaching standpoint, it's my, my thing is if if he's the future of that spot, put him there. Yeah. I don't, I don't care what they did with Whitworth back in the day. Whitworth was the 55th pick, not the fifth pick. You know, (laughs) it's a different story. But, um, yeah, sheer size that, and monstrousness that Sewell had either. So, you know, that's, yeah. that's a whole nother story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Now, that does bring us to 
the receiver position. So we, we touched on Chase. Look, lots of changes here. Um, you know, I, we, we, we kind of talked a little bit about Boyd and Higgins. Um, you know, so a couple of really solid guys there. I, I think a lot of people wanted to add that speed guy to this group, Curtis Samuel, Josh Reynolds. Neither one of those things is happening. Um, they've got A.J. Green gone. They've got Alex Erickson gone. Um, so, yeah, we're getting pretty deep down the uh, down the line already at that spot. Um, and, you know, what have they done? They, they brought back Mike Thomas. Uh, so speed guy, um, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it kind of, it kind of would like you look at it like this, and it's, it's like, well, they they went out and got Reef, so it's like you're doing something at the tackle position where it's like maybe they're thinking they they're not addressing that in the first round, and they're trying to be okay with it, but they haven't done anything at the receiver position. Not that it's nearly as important, <clears throat> um, you know, since they do have a couple talented guys, but they haven't done anything to minimally address that need uh, where you can say, well, you know, the, 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 if they come out of day two and they haven't drafted a receiver, um, <laughs> I think right now you're like, ooh, this is yeah. this is going to be a problem right now. Um, whereas if they don't draft a tackle, like you're mad about it, but you're still, you're still thinking, well, they have Reef. Maybe they can kick that knee down, you know, uh, down the, the line for another year or something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, where do you where do you think that that group is is going? I mean, definitely pretty thin at this point. Yeah, it's an unquestionable need, unquestioned need, I should say. Um, and you know, the targets that they lose, whatever you might think about what Green did last year, and of course John hmm. Ross, the dearly departed first round pick, I should mention. Wow, that I didn't even think of time. John Ross. Yeah, and yeah, John Ross uh, as well. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, they they. Uh, between with the three guys that you mentioned who left, you know, there's quite a number of targets there. They're going to have to go somewhere. And they're yeah. all going to Auden Tate, you know, once as we like mm-hmm. Auden Tate and think he can <laughs> do a lot of things, speed and, and separation are not his game, obviously. So they have a, a, a definite need for a speed guy. Now the question is, as you mentioned, you know, do they address that need at the top of the draft where you have, uh, you know, this is a couple of incredible talents or, and this is a deep wide receiver draft, as we've noted, but not quite as deep. I mean, this is where you can sway me on the argument back to taking the receiver at the top, which is, you know, I think you're in a very, very strong position if you do draft a receiver up high to still get line talent in the second, third, fourth round that are going to impact your team in right away. Can you do mm-hmm. that with an immediate impact guy who's really going to affect the field in the second or third round? you know, as a rookie especially. And there's some guys out there, uh, but are you going to be able to be in a position to really draft them on, uh, you know, in the second round or third round when, you know, there's the the the, uh, the margins are getting a little thin and there's other teams looking mm-hmm. around for receivers and, you know, you don't know. Um, part I think of, a lot of it comes down to fit too, because I think... Right. You, you know, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, we talk about, well, this guy's a better zone player and... and I, you know, basically from an offensive line perspective, the NFL isn't that creative. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like it's not like there's triple option teams. You know what I mean? Like, like the their offensive line schematically uh, have a lot of similarities, 
Whereas I think you look at you look at Jamar Chase, and obviously, you know, the fact that he played with Burrow is is great, but um, just he plays the way Burrow wants guys to play, you know. Yeah. And, and and I think if you watch Jamar Chase's film, and he's wearing a different jersey, you're still saying, "Ooh, that's a guy Joe Burrow's gonna like." Um, yeah. So. So that that's another aspect of it too is you know like you're not you know uh, you're not going to take a five nine speedy guy in round two and really have the same effect of your your offense because it's not how Burrow necessarily works. Right, and also you know what I, I allude back to what I was saying earlier about this being you know tougher and and more physical team overall. With most guys that you draft as a receiver, you know that doesn't that doesn't come into play. You you, you have Jamar Chase on your team, and he's bullying dudes all over the field, you know, and and, and he mm-hmm. does make you more physical and does, uh, you know, kind of put the fear of God into uh, the uh, defenses for your players. So, you know, I I'd certainly be on board with him. I mean, he's a he's obviously a physical monster, and that's and this goes for Pitts too. Obviously, in a different position, we'll get to him in a minute. But you know, you, you just want guys who can who can bully the opposition as well as make, you know, the spectacular and speedy play. And as you said, the, the team has a specific need at wide receiver, and in specifically they need a guy who's going to, you know, run deep down the field and open things up underneath for guys. That's not everybody in this draft, and it's not necessarily an easy thing to find, and you just don't want to pick a guy who's, like you said, 5'9", and can run really fast but doesn't particularly do the things that Burrow does well, which is spot the ball you know, outside the numbers and, and rely on a lot of back shoulder stuff and a lot of guys who are going to go up in high point balls. Uh, you know, th- there's only a handful of guys in any draft, really, who can do the things that uh, at a high level that you can really find the way, you know, the, a top receiver can. And, and then when you talk about Jamar Chase, he's taking it to an elite level that is very rare, obviously. So uh, even though I spent the last <laughs> position segment talking about how I'm still on the uh, on the offensive line train at five. I would certainly not be upset with the Jamar Chase because of the things that he can do and and how he fits the Bengals' needs so so perfectly and and would really open up the rest of that offense so well. So and because of yeah. also the the other offensive line depth in the draft as well. Yeah. Either either way, I mean it's it's an exciting pick. And you know, you talk about Pitts. I actually you you, know, you want to talk about being a fit for an offense and for what the quarterback does well. And I honestly, I see Kyle Pitts as if I'm, if I'm the Bengals, Kyle Pitts is wide receiver two for me in this draft. Uh, even though he's tight end. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just think right. I mean, the way he goes up and gets the ball and, you know, I think, you know, I think he would be an incredible fit with Burrow the way he does things. And look, I like, I love Devontae Smith. I mean, honestly, Devontae Smith, might be my wide receiver one in this draft. Like I, I, I think he's really good. I just don't think he's. But not for Cincy, yeah. Yeah, he's just not. He's just not the right, the right kind of fit. I, I, I think he could be very, very good, but just not the right kind of fit there. And, um, and, you know, yeah, I think, I think you look at guys that are going to catch those jump balls, like Chase and, and Pitts jump off the field with that. No pun intended there, but um, so. <laughs> That gets us to the tight end position. Uh, Stephen Carter, mainly a special teams guy, but kind of stepped up this year. Um, 
gone. Um, yeah. And CJ Uzama, another guy recovering from an injury, uh, with a bit of an unknown future. So really, you're looking at you're looking at Drew Sample. It's like the only real, real solid return there. Um, I CJ is another one that I think a lot of Bengals fans have have, have soured on, but I I, I think he's a he's a very solid player. Uh, you know, I, think, I think you look at the tight end position, I think, like, I don't know, in my opinion, Sample and Uzama, it's like, fine. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I don't think, you, you know, if you feel good about Uzama coming back, I don't think you can you can see it as, like, a real need. Um, but you should always be looking to upgrade. And, you know, if if you're in a position to take a Kyle Pitts kind of guy and you can do that, you do it. Um, what, what are your thoughts on the tight end position? Well, that's just it. I mean, Pitts is not just like a tight end upgrade. I mean, he's just, you know, a stallion you want to get on your team at all costs mm-hmm. kind of player, right? So almost doesn't matter that he's a tight end or a wide receiver. He does both, and they're, you know, at, at an absurd level. Uh, yeah. I was just looking at their college production. I think he had more catches last year than Sample and Uzama had in their entire careers combined. Uh, <laughs> I know Sample and Uzama were not exactly, uh, you know, targets number one or 1A on their running teams, but still, uh, that leapt off the page at me. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, CJ is good. I mean, he, he can, you know, considering where he come from uh, as an Auburn option tight end, he was barely, why he even stayed there is kind of hard to, hard to fathom, but that's a whole other conversation. Considering where he came from and, and now – you know, the players turned himself into, I think is pretty good. And he was having a great start to last year. It was really unfortunate. I think if he had stayed healthy, we'd be thinking about it as, oh, we're set at tight end, you know, Pitts would be great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we got two, you know, two guys who complement each other in terms of what they do, blocking and, and receiving. And, of course, like you say, it's not just a, it's not just an injury he's coming back from, but Achilles injuries are always highly, highly suspect. You know, some guys come back and they're fine, but I think, you know, the, the majority probably don't. So it's, you know, you, you don't feel great about the position just because of that. Um, I think they'll definitely add one in the draft at some point. Uh, and if it's not Pitts, I don't think they'll go, you know, a third rounder necessarily unless somebody drops or, or leaps off the page at them. But, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, you know, Taylor's offense was always sort of geared to having the two mesh tight ends who work well together but aren't the focal points of the offense per se. You know, they they mm-hmm. kind of have that. You know, what what the Rams were doing. Uh, you know, with a, with a Higby type player, and I think that's what you look for if you can have Uzama be that kind of guy. You know, maybe a six hundred yards, six touchdown guy. You know, that's assuming that the three tight end general sets and they're running the ball well. That's really all you need. You don't have to have a, a Pro Bowl level tight end per se to have that offense work. But you know, I think now you have Joe Especially Burrow. Your receivers are, are, are uh, Higgins, Chase, and Boyd. <laughs> right, I mean, exactly. So you're fine with him, and it's and the, that works towards Joe Burrow's strengths too. You know, he works mm-hmm. in the middle of the field really well, and you know he can make a tight end like Uzoma not nearly as talented, obviously, as a guy like Pitts or even some of the other tight ends in the league, but you know, he can be productive with Joe Burrow throwing him the ball where he wouldn't necessarily be that way with other guys at quarterback. So, you know, a lot of this comes down to, like you said, so uh, yeah, how do they internally think Uzama's help is going to be? I mean, if they're comfortable with his rehab and they think he's going to be back 
you know, right off the bat, then they probably think that they're fine there and they'll, they'll just go with some of the others and they, they'll move pits down a little bit on their draft board because of that. But I think they're seriously considering him just because of the incredible talent that he has and he's such a unicorn that, you know, like I said, he's almost – he's your tight end one and your wide receiver one at the, at the same time and he just he'll make so much else – work just because of the way the defense has to has to play him and, and he can make plays that are nothing turned into home runs just because of his incredible talent yeah and um you know so we, we move on from that position and you know we're really running back is not much of a factor here um you know we they've got mixing coming back there's rumors of shopping geo which would be interesting hmm. but honestly even if they do um i was really impressed by samaje p ryan's pass protection last year um you know and i think samaje's a really good player i think he i think he takes care of a lot of those issues for you with, with them resending uh him and the things that geo can do in the past game we've been complaining for years about how they don't do him enough anyway so like, yeah, exactly. Um, it's not like you're losing it uh, because it, it was never really there. So, um, so that really gets us through the offense, and you know, just to touch on special teams, um, Huber and Harris are back. Bullock, uh, not so much. They they've yeah, got Austin yeah. Siebert, uh, <laughs> so kicker definitely a concern. Uh, Brandon Wilson back. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy how how many you know the the notable positions it, it, it's, uh, on uh, special teams were all up, but um, and then the guy they lost though was Alex Erickson, and obviously he's a guy that has dealt with some criticism for um, you know that, that people wanted to see uh, Darius Phillips, they want to see somebody um, you know a little bit more dynamic back there returning punts. Well, he's gone now. Um, you know, you look at the the depth at the receiver position, and you could definitely see somebody coming in and and having a having a dual role, maybe being maybe not being that number three guy they're looking for a receiver, but um, you could see somebody coming in to to take kind of the Erickson role of the the depth receiver um, slash returner type of guy. Um, you know, uh, I guess really that and the, and the kicker spot, the kicker is the big really thing uh, in terms of special teams. Um, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on on the overall, you know, special teams as it currently stands? Yeah, a couple of things. I'd never uh, go through one of my draft simulations. I consider them a failure, in fact, if I don't get uh, a kicker there in the seventh round, like uh, Jose Borgales of Miami, you know, one of the great ones. So I can say to myself, <laughs> all right, whatever else we do at five – we get an offensive lineman or a wideout, all that is kind of meaningless. As long as we get that kicker, I really like in the seventh round of this draft <laughs> is a success. Uh, yeah, I think they'll definitely, um, I don't think they'll definitely pick one, but I think they'll be looking to uh, and obviously bring in competition for Siebert. I mean, if Siebert winds up being the kicker on opening day next year, I would be surprised and, and uh, you know, that'd be something of a failure. I'd be, I'd be, yeah. You know, astonished that they didn't go in another direction, whether it's mm-hmm. an actual pick in the draft or, you know, in UFA or even a veteran off the street that they find that somebody else cuts, perhaps. But, uh, yeah, I think there's definitely changes there. And, and 
you know, there's another ace special team player in Stephen Carter that they lose uh, second year in a row, right, because they lost uh, Fedge to him last year. Uh, and, you know, these things add up. I, I think mm-hmm. they and we put a lot of faith in Darren Simmons, the special teams coach, uh, ability to, you know, coach up guys who he has and turn them into excellent special teams players. Sometimes they draft for it, in fact, directly. Uh, but most of the time, I think they rely on Simmons to do his voodoo. And uh, so far, that's proven pretty effective. I don't feel like, yeah. you know, they're going to lose too much uh, off of that just because they lose Carter. But, you know, it's another blow. It's another guy off the roster that he knew what he could do. And he uh, And I'll add to that, another guy well. that the Bengals fans, you know, didn't love uh, was Cordy Core. But Cordy Core was right, a Corey. very good player on special teams right. uh, yeah. for, you know, for, for the issues that he had at receiver. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, you know, between, you know, Fedge and Core, like, they, Darren Simmons has done an incredible job of, of, of replacing guys, uh, you know, key players when he, when he has lost them, um, yeah, in that group. It's such a good thing to have, you know. So many teams take it for granted, but you look around at the, mm. most of the really good teams in the league, the historically successful over the years, Patriots being sort of 1A in that list. And they put a lot of thought and a lot of time into it. And, and uh, certainly the Patriots have tried to raid Bengals special teamers <laughs> of note over the years. And mm. I think they mm-hmm. even tried to raid Darren Simmons a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's a unthought-of position by most fans, but it and it's you know, maybe not as important as getting their quarterback right, obviously, but uh, it's something that every winning team needs to take seriously, and, and as long as the Bengals have Simmons there, I, I really feel they're in good hands, and they can survive some turnover in that realm without, you know, really falling off the map in terms of coverage and, and getting good return games. In terms of Erickson, you know, you hope for somebody a little bit more dynamic. He was reliable, which is what they liked about him, how he kept his job all these years. Um so you hope that you can find somebody to replace his reliability, but add a little bit of some dynamic uh, possibilities to the punt return game. It's, you know, part of it is when you have a quarterback you feel is elite, then you don't really worry so much about getting big punt returns on every play. You just want a guy mm-hmm. who's going to field the ball and not give up, you know, an extra 15 yards on the bounce and just make sure that everything's copacetic and then let, let your quarterback go do your thing. But it'll be nice to have a guy back there, whether it's Phillips or whether it's somebody they pick. Um, I was looking at a little Diami Brown out of North Carolina as a possibility. Maybe he could fill both roles, you know, speed guy and also returner. Somebody like that could be on their radar for sure. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to that at all, obviously. Yeah, I believe it's Amir Marset smith out of Iowa. Mm. Kind of yeah, a similar kind of one. guy, too. Yeah. Um, and he's a, I don't know, he's... He's a he's a draft darling of many, uh, but but you know it still seems to be somebody that that's probably a day three guy, um, you know. So yeah, you get some great value on on somebody like that, and you know get a get a speedy receiver and a and a reliable return. I mean, you make a great point there though that you know the number one thing you talk about Erickson being reliable. Like, I mean, number one that was one of the things that killed him in the in the Steelers team yeah. was. was was when he muffed that one, but like, like at the end of the day, like Joe Burrow's your quarterback, and really this is every special teams coordinator, you know, this is what they'd say in the first place is like ball, you know, ball security is job security, and when yeah, exactly. you when you got Joe Burrow, you certainly don't want 
want to be the person responsible for taking the ball out of his hands. So, um, so that is going to be, you know, definitely a, a paramount consideration coming into this, uh, you know, dealing with that, that question. So let's, let's shift over to the defensive side of the ball now. Um, not really much has happened in the linebacker position. Uh, three rookies last year, Josh Bynes, Still kind of in limbo. They brought back Jordan Evans, uh, who played a large role in special teams this year. Um, I mean, do you, do you think Bynes comes back at some point? Do you think they're going to roll out there with, uh, you know, with Pratt and Wilson and, and try and work in the other rookies? Um, you know, what are you talking about the linebacker position? Yeah, I, boy, I do think that they want to bring Vines back. Oh, I think in their heart of hearts what they want is just for, you know, Pratt and the uh, two rookies uh, and Evans just to be their core, you know, two rookies from last year, I should say, Wilson and uh, Akeem Davis-Gator. I mean, I think they want those guys to take a huge step forward and, and be guys who, you know, uh, are the forefront of the of the linebacking core. And, you know, if they bring Vines back, it's merely as a veteran leader kind of guy who showed them the ropes and, and you know, again, bring the knowledge of the Ravens maybe a little bit more to them. <laughs> we thought he was a bit of a, of a double agent, which I like. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think they really are solid on Logan Wilson and his progress. I think they're hoping uh, for Gator and, and Pratt, to, especially Pratt in his third year, to step forward and be the guy who flashed really as a rookie and didn't quite live up to that in his second year. A lot of that's going to depend on you know, what they see in OTAs, perhaps, and I think Vines could, you know, be on the street until they have a chance to look at these guys on the field a little bit more uh, in in the OTA sessions, at least, if not all the way to training camp, uh, and assuming he doesn't get signed by somebody else, which is always a possibility, but uh, I think they'd prefer not to have to bring in Vines, but bring him in sort of as a, you know, kind of a fill-out-the-back-room mm-hmm. kind of guy. But we'll have to see, obviously, and, and you know, hope that those guys take the next step forward and given their draft position and, and some of the flash that they showed last year, especially Wilson, I think they're in good good shape to do that. Uh, but there's you know a long way between that and considering that a, a position of strength. So I think they you know, sure. still have a lot of work to do in that sense. So we'll move to the defensive line. And, you know, I said that they didn't really make big splashes in free agency. They made a pretty big one uh, with Trey Hendrickson. Um, and, uh, and honestly, that was a guy that I, I liked a lot coming out. I, you know, he's coming off of a, of a big year statistically this year. Um, when I looked at going into free agency, I was like, well, if they're going to spend that kind of money, they're going to spend it on Lawson. Um, the two ended up, I mean, and I'm not the contract expert, but they, they're getting about the same per year. Uh, <laughs> they, they gave Hendrickson another year. So, um, obviously, you know, Lawson had some injury concerns, whether that was the deal or, or what it was. Um, so, you know, adding Trey Hendrickson to that group, uh, they brought in, uh, Larry Ogunjobi from Cleveland as well to do the tackle, um, uh, Mike Daniels coming back, DJ Reader returning from injury, um, Josh Tupo returning from the the um, opt-out list. Um, so, I mean, they definitely still need to add some pass rushers, but 
I mean, how do you think they netted with all of that? And then obviously the, the, the recent departures of uh, Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap. Yeah, well, they're definitely still deficient up front, and um, you know, both at end really and and a tackle. Although bringing Daniels back help helps, and uh, you know, I think he he gave them a little bit more than people think uh, last year. I, I uh, thought his play was actually pretty good when he was out there, uh, and obviously, you almost forget that they even have DJ Reader because we barely got to see him uh, beyond September last year. But of course, if he mm-hmm. comes back and is fully healthy, you know, that's going to give a big shot of, of juice to the uh, interior of that line. Uh, in terms of the ends, I mean, yeah, they, they almost it was I feel like they took the approach of, well, Lawson has not been consistent and he couldn't stay on the field for so let's, you know, make him earn it in the contract year. And then he did to the point where they couldn't afford him anymore. <laughs> you, know, it's, it's, you know, they got outbid. It, it they That's, kinda This, this is definitely dice. what's gonna happen to Billy Price this year, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, I totally see it. Uh, it He's going to come on and be like, ooh, crap. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think to a sense, that's what happened with New Orleans and Hendrickson a little bit too. You know, they they like what Mm. they had, not enough to extend them early because of one concern or another. Uh, And in Lawson's case, it was obviously not not being, you know, available uh, nearly enough. And then, you know, they traded for each other in sort of a weird way. And uh, like you say, they're making a similar amount this year, anyway, I think uh, the Bengals can long-term contract flexibility is a little bit better than the Jets gave uh, gave Lawson. But and I, I feel just because of the injury history and, and Lawson's sort of lack of availability over his full career, you know, I'm not I'm not crushed by losing him, and I, I can see where perhaps that injury history would would definitely flare up again. Or as Hendrickson, if he's not quite the pass rusher, maybe the loss it is, at least he's more consistently available to play. And certainly the Bengals need that more than almost anything else. But they definitely need another end. Um, I was actually secretly hoping they would get both of them somehow, fit both of them into the cap, um, you know, or a loss and another top-level end somehow. But there's still some guys out there that they could get who are, you know, much less expensive much less explosive, perhaps, uh, but you know, some guys who at least juiced up that edge rush a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm thinking along the terms of older guys like Justin Houston or questionable guys like an Alden Smith. You know, I, mm. I always make the point though that you know the Bengals' defense was really elite under Zimmer and Marvin Lewis. I mean, those those were two bigger reasons why, but also because you know they added guys sort of outside the normal path, like. Bontez Perfect and, and Pac-Man Jones, two guys who really made that defense turn from good to very good, if not great, at some certain points. And both those guys were, of course, you know, character deficient in certain ways, but they also helped your team pretty darn, pretty darn well uh, on Sunday. And maybe they can, I don't know what the, you know, culture fit necessarily is with a guy like Alden Smith, but I know he can rush the passer and I, you know, I wouldn't be adverse to taking at least taking a kick at the tires on him, for example. And I definitely think they'll draft one uh, and maybe an end and a, a three technique, certainly one or the other. They can't come away without at least a defensive lineman of either of those positions in the draft. How high that is, is remains to be seen. There's a lot of depth at that position, too, fortunately, so they could get some guys who might be a little bit under the radar when everybody's looking tackle and wide receiver. They might be able to snag one perhaps in the third round, that really makes an impact. That would be nice. Yeah, you know, I, I think the teams that are really good defensively 
tend to add that type of guy. You know, like they 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 get a freebie on it because of mm-hmm. some personal issues, or you know, a lot, a lot of stuff, you know, like uh, Michael Bennett. Um, since leaving Seattle, um, you know, he he was a very good player in Seattle, but you know, now he's, as he's been a little bit older, he's been a nice piece for some teams since then. Um, and, and, you know, I think a, a guy like a Ryan Kerrigan could be that type of guy. It could be a nice piece. That's the first-round pick that he once was. But, um, you know, the Bengals did have him in and talk to him a little bit. Like, that that could be a, a, a nice sort of piece to add to that rotation there. And, um, you know, I think he'd be great. Yeah, I, I wish they could get him. I, I almost think he's too good right now for what the Bengals are willing to commit. And, you know, he looks at two guys who are definitely going to be starting in – and Hendrickson and Hubbard, and I don't know that he wants to be a rotation guy yet. He thinks he can still be a starter. Maybe that's delusional, but uh, you know, mm. if the Bengals were to somehow find a way to get him on the on the squad, that would be fantastic. Or well, you know, just uh, hey, we're going to start out in our third down defense. So Hubbard yeah. starting a defensive tackle. Uh, <laughs> pass rush uh, all game. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, no, yeah, no, I, I I understand what you mean though. And I, I I don't know. I I think. Um, this year, with everything going on with COVID, I think there's a tremendous opportunity to find guys like that who, yeah, um, you, you know, like uh, uh, Wilson, the defensive tackle from from Florida State, he just had an Marvelous. off season. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, what what was that like? You know, like last year, people were saying he, you know, could be a you know, like a second day pick and, um, you know, like a high second day pick last year. And now, you know, people are very down on him after, after a down year. And I mean, is this a guy that didn't know how to work out on his own when, <laughs> when, the, when the gym shut down and just came in, you know, like, I think there's a lot, there's potentially a lot of things like that where th- there are going to be players that teams are going to be afraid of for this reason or that, um, sure. who, if you do your research and if you're, you know, you you might be able to hit on some of those guys. So I think it's going to be some opportunities because you look at perfect and perfect was, you know, it, it was the off the field stuff, even coming out of college, but you know, like, uh, but it was, it was from his rookie year, you know, that they, they, they found him. Um, so yeah, I mean, is there somebody like, like that? But, I mean, I, I watched Morphin Wilson and I, like he, you see him, you're like, this guy is very, very good. And then there are other, there are other clips. You're like, eh, not so much. So, right. um, you know, who, who's the real person, you know? So I, I think COVID uh, in this year creates an opportunity for some of those steals, which, you know, when you talk about a team like the Bengals and, you know, hear people say, well, it's going to take more than, more than a year. It's going to take this long you up the timetable with those things by <laughs> by getting lucky, you know, by, yeah, going off by, the by hitting that late right. and you know, and you get guys like Hubbard, like Hubbard, third round pick, um, yeah, Carl Lawson, fourth or fifth. Well, um, I was going to mention you know, that. Yeah, that's a guy who yeah, fell Lawson for injuries and, and yeah, other reasons, you know, and that there's always guys who fall yeah. for one reason or another that you know. Some, and I'd say astute teams get them, but sometimes it's, like I said, it's just luck. They wind up with the right position coach or the right coordinator. They they find themselves, they mature, you know, they stay healthy, they they play their final college season 
you know, at 50 or 60 percent when really they, they have much more to offer and they just haven't put it on tape. There's a million reasons. There's a, a million mm-hmm. guys. You know, there's a reason that so much of the league is uh, undrafted guys or guys who, you know, make it from the, the lower depths rounds and, and wind up starting and, and making great careers. I mean, it's not always so simple as just getting those high round picks and, and you know, just throwing them out there. There's so much more that goes into it. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and then you add COVID on top of the mix. That's one reason I, I like this guy. His name is Taron Jackson. He played at Coastal Carolina. Real, mm. you know, not a monster player in terms of physique, but real high-energy guy. Played well, and he played this year, you know, in Coastal Carolina. <laughs> had a really good year, and I got to see him a lot. And I just know, you know, I, I, I got a sense of him, much more so than I got a sense of, some of these other guys, and that includes, by the way, we you know nobody even really brings it up that much, but you know Jamar Chase, Penae Sewell, uh, so many other guys, Rashawn Slater. Hey, they, by the time they line up for their first NFL game, it's going to be what 20 months since they put on the pads for real. I mean, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of I don't know, rusted or whatever you want to call it. Uh, just you know, mm. guys who haven't really done it for real here for quite some time. And that's not to say I wouldn't take those guys. I would, but there's always going to, there's going to be some hiccups with everybody. And, you know, COVID has messed up the timeline in so many different ways. It's just, you have to expect it. And then you have to, you have to build that into your expectations and build it into the way you coach the team. That's all. And, uh, yeah, Jamar Chase, Penny Sewell, both guys that opted out. So, you know, yeah, that's what you do. I mean, you know, un- they should fall because that. of that. That would be nice. And then the Bengals would wind up with both. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is going to be interesting, like, for the non-top-level guys like that, how how that's treated. Because yeah. um, it, it's funny because, you know, we, like I talk about Wilson, Florida State, like, what if he just opted out? Like it would have been better like, off, I think. Yeah, like like it's, like it's crazy to think that playing can hurt you. <laughs> you know, uh, you know the more you know you get more information, but the more information can be bad sometimes too, I guess. But it's negative um, in this case, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, if you go back and you just watch that junior film, you're like, all right. But um, yeah, so it, 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 it's interesting. It, I feel like you the, the more the information you have can kind of bias you just to, to some extent. Um, in, in any direction, you know, I think sometimes, um, you know, people that watched, I think I, I only really watched Herbert in his final year, and I was less surprised. You know, I, he, he came out a lot faster in the NFL than I thought. He was more accurate, but I, like, I thought he was going to be good. I feel like a lot of people were, like, surprised that he was good. I know that was you know that was and it was just kind of like the trajectory of things when you watch the whole whole thing. But um, anyway, uh, so that gets us to, to you know the final area here is the defensive backfield and look they they did a lot. I mean there was a major turnover in the defensive backfield. Um, safeties safeties all set really with Bates and Bell. They brought in Ricardo Allen for for some depth there um, at corner. You replace uh, William Jackson with uh, Awuzi. You replace uh, Hilton on the inside. Excuse me, you replace uh, Mackenzie Alexander on the inside. Uh, slot with Mike Hilton. Um, and uh, you've got Trey Waynes returning from injury, who was last year's free agent. Uh, also, Eli Apple giving you a little bit of depth there. Um, major turnaround at that, that cornerback position. 
Um, you know, he didn't play much last year, but you know, Sean Williams was, you know, was really the depth at safety that they that they lost. So, uh, and that was a guy that was starting not long ago for the for this club. So, uh, a lot of turnover at the deep at the back position, but especially at the cornerback position. Are I mean, are they trying too hard? Are they shuffling the deck too much? Uh, and, and you know, there's. Problems are bigger than the players, or, or what do you think is going on to do with the backfield? Uh, I, I think they're thinking that, and this is based on some truth, which is that you can never have enough cornerbacks, and that if you're going to spend X amount of money, if you can get two good ones, probably that's the better way to go than one very good one. Uh, mm. If William Jackson was elite, you know, Stephon Gilmore quality, then perhaps they'd think a little bit differently about keeping him. I, I think in Jackson's case, it's really more uh, about him, like a personality and a, and a culture. I hate to use that word, but culture clash. I mean, it just always seemed like something was off with him and the, and the Bengals, especially uh, once Taylor and the new regime came in. I, I, just, I remember reading something just recently about him. They were, talk, they were asking him before he signed with Washington about – uh, you know, the free agency market and what he thought. And he just said something like, I don't really pay any attention to it. I let my agent do with it. I just want to ride my horses in Houston and get it over with and, you know, show up on <laughs> wherever I'm told. And it's like, you know, you, you hate to read too much into one quote that's taken out of context probably, but it just seemed to me like I, I can see where guys in the Bengals organization may have gotten the impression that the, here's the guy, whatever, doesn't, care enough about the game or doesn't, you know, kind of throw himself out there. Just a guy who they they just felt a little weird about. And they said to themselves, good as he may be, he's not that good. And we can get two guys who can help us for the price of his contract. Let's just do that. And, uh, you know, I mean, we'll see how it works out. I can't fault them for thinking that way necessarily. I mean, Jackson certainly is a very good player. I think he was fifth in our – uh, success rate charts over Football Outsiders. And Darius Phillips, by the way, is, was 13th. Uh, he, he's a guy who really can play. Doesn't get a ton of love. I, I don't think he should be like thinking that he's the odd man out, per se, because as we say, as I said, you can never have enough corners, and these guys go down all the time. And, I mean, last year's Exhibit A, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they're dressing. You know, they, they had, what, <laughs> street free agent number eight uh, out there on the field. I mean, it was, you know, it just got ridiculous at a certain point, but, you know, they're going to need a lot of bodies. And uh, in that sense, if you're telling me they can get a very good slot corner, I like Hilton a lot. I think he brings that kind of aggressive physical attitude that we were talking about before uh, with some other positions. He brings that to the, the slot in the perimeter and can really blitz and can really hit guys and make them know that he's out there. Uh, and, you know, Ouzier, I feel like he actually sort of reminds me a little bit of Jackson from 2019 in that he played a lot through injury. Jackson really played through it and kind of underperformed and underwhelmed because he wasn't physically whole the entire season. And Ouzier definitely was not uh, at 100% last year. He's not the talent that Jackson is necessarily. But I think, you know, if they're looking to play a lot more zone coverage, and it seems like that's what they want to do as their as their main approach. Uh, that fits what Awuzie does best. He's not really a press man guy, but he can he can work uh, work zone coverage much at a much better rate, and I think that's what they want to do. Um, 
in that case, that you know, those are two pretty good additions. Really, the X factor is Waynes. I mean, there's a guy who <laughs> you're expecting hmm. to come in and be sort of a, a number one shutdown type corner for the money you're paying him. I don't know that he's really shown that in quite some time, and, and of course, he didn't even play last year. And now you're like, I think everybody's sort of assuming a he's going to be awesome, but you know, we've never seen him play a snap as a Bengal, and with everything that went down with him last year in terms of his agent blowing him up and, you know, the, the sort of physical uh, issues that he had, you know, that, that could be a problem waiting to fester there. But uh, I'll look on the bright side, and if, you know, Waynes, Ouzier, Hilton, and Phillips are your top four guys, and you can actually have them on the field for, you know, most of the season, that's a pretty good quartet. I feel pretty good. And, uh, and Eli Apple even, you know, it's like we were talking before about, finding guys who give you something unexpected. I mean, there's a guy who, for all his troubles in the league so far, is number one first-round talent, right? I mean, he's mm-hmm. a guy who has the physical capabilities, and maybe maybe Lou Anarumo is the guy to unlock him. I mean, it's, you know, stranger things certainly have happened, at least as a guy who's going to be better than some of the uh, depth corners they were throwing out there last year, so... You know, going into the season, it's March. You feel decent about the cornerbacks for sure, and obviously, as you mentioned, the safeties, I feel very good about. I like the Ricardo Allen signing a lot. Uh, I'm in Atlanta. I saw him when he was healthy. He was a real feisty guy, a guy who really, you know, it kind of a, a contrast. It's almost like the stark contrast to Jackson. I feel like they specifically went for a guy who lives and breathes football. I know the cliche, but. There it is. He's a guy who wants to coach. You know, he, he hangs around even when he's hurt and, mm-hmm. you know, does everything he can to, to understand the game and set in with the quarterbacks, you know, when he was injured just to understand what they were coming from. Lives and breathes football, so they say. So I, I like him as a, as a third safety. I think he'll help a lot. And, uh, you know, yeah. they I can't mean, get worse. That's a good point you make, too. You look at last year's draft and all the, the team captains and coaches' kids they drafted. Right. <laughs> You know? Yeah, it's it's something they're obviously targeting and and making a concern. I mean, you know, you can debate its merits, but at least they're consistent mm-hmm. about it. And you know, they're they're saying these are the kind of guys we want. It's, you know, and we say that about the guys that get rid of. Some of them were certainly good character guys from the Marvin Lewis era who just wound up you know, aging out of the regime. I think a little bit's been made. Too much has been made about oh, they're just getting rid of everybody from the Lewis era and purging to bring in new guys. I, I, yeah, these guys are older. There's a reason to do that. That happens on every team. But I, I do think, as you say, that they have a character type they want. You know, they're, they're not going to turn down an elite talent if he's not an A1 character, but for the most part, to fill out the roster, they want a certain kind of player and a certain kind of character. And, you know, they've been consistent about it. We'll see if it works. Yeah, so... You know, again, kind of, kind of retreading it and uh, summarizing. You know, there's there's been some moves, um, maybe not the the full on blockbusters that that we might have thought, but you know, the, the the Henderson move was definitely a big one. Um, the Hilton move was definitely an underrated one. Um, I think he's going to be a very, very good fit. Uh, for this defense, I, I say I think you look at you look at you get Hilton and Von Bell. I think you kind of have two very good, you know, essentially 
four two five outside linebackers. <laughs> right. Know, like like guys that can really end, like you know? Yeah, yeah. And then guys come up and play the round. Yeah, all the players. I think it's easy more guys like that who are gonna, you know, get up in your grill and just let you know you're playing against them. Yeah. And you know, it sounds simple to say, but it's not something the Bengals necessarily have always had. And uh, you know, when Von Bell yeah. blew up Schuster, Smith Schuster last year, I mean that was you know, the moment of the year. Uh, certainly on on defense that was by far their best moment of the year. So uh, and, you know, yeah. more of that, please. Get me guys who can do that. I don't care where they come from. Just, just get them that, in that, That's true. And, and you guys have that attitude, but who do it the right way. You know, and, yeah. and, and I think that's the problem the Bengals have had is they've had guys that had that attitude, but they didn't have the discipline. Um, and, you know, the. I mean, how do you not reel in perfect to some extent <laughs> over over so many years? Yeah. You know, and just, it just like, got old. I mean, that's the thing. Right? Yeah, like they, just just control them a little bit. Like, um, you know, I, I think that's what that's what you see with these guys. Like, a lot of guys just need the right coaching to, like, hey, like you're over the line, right to here. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you know, get get to that point, and um, you know. I, I think that they they kind of had a let them go uh, mindset with it, and and yeah, they you know you need to get to figure out how to do that and do that the right way, and and not do it in a way that's going to get you a 15 yard, that's going to cost your team and hurt you at the wrong times, and, and you're going to yeah. lose games because of that type of stuff, and you know and get suspended for games. a quarter of every season, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. all, that, all that type of stuff. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a delicate little balance with that stuff, especially in the modern NFL and everything everything going on in it. So, so yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. You know, there's, there's still potentially some free agent moves out there. Uh, you know, there are guys, we, we mentioned Kerrigan, you know, but there are definitely a handful of guys still sitting around who, who can help you out. Um and and the draft coming up, so we'll we'll have those answers and we'll figure out uh, figure out what the what the next step is. But um, what, any any overall thoughts on uh, the changes since the season? Uh, underwhelmed, overwhelmed? Uh, <laughs> what you expected? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's only underwhelming in that you wanted them to get the you know, sort of big-ticket offensive linemen, and then, it, but it's only underwhelming when you realize that, uh, or you, if you don't realize that most of the guys who you thought maybe were available really were never going to be available, right? I mean, they were never mm. going to get uh, Taylor Moten. They were never really going to get Brandon Sheriff. They were never going to get Trent Williams. You know, Thune was the only one, and, and for the money he signed for, again, it's it's probably going to be a quali- quantity over quality situation there. And then, you know, I, I just don't feel like he was ever – and the Bengals were certainly never going that high in terms of money for, for a guard. And, uh, mm-hmm. and if it, even if they did, he was going to choose the Chiefs over the Bengals. So, it's, you know, if you want to call that underwhelming, I guess you can. Uh, you know, uh, I always have taken the sort of opinion that it's not about – who you sign, or it's not about the number of guys you sign, but it's who you sign and and do it right. And I feel like they did a pretty good job. I mean, 
you know, there's still holes to be filled, uh, but you were never going to be able to sign all the free agents that you needed to fill all those holes, really. That was never realistic. The draft was always, you know, the right hand to the left hand of free agency. So I feel like they've they've set it up fairly well. Now they just got to fill uh, the rest of the spots and, and really get some elite talent in the house through the draft. And they're in a good position to do so, and it's an exciting time. And it's going to be a ton of new guys, a ton of, you know, guys we're not used to seeing on the field, and I think that's that's good. I mean, obviously, because most of the old guys haven't, you know, produced too many wins. So it's going to be, you know, a, a team that we're, you know, there's nothing stale about it. We're going to see a bunch of new guys. It's going to be really fascinating to watch. We got the quarterback, which is at the end of the day what really matters. Uh, the rest of it is just, you know, trying to fill it in and coach him up and do it right. I think uh, I think I'm not overwhelmed by it or underwhelmed by it. I'm right down the middle, and I, I reserve judgment until after the draft. But so far, my uh, my hopes are still fairly high. Let's put it that way for this offseason. But I'm a, I'm a blind optimist. I've been accused of that in the past. So <laughs> as cynical as I tend to be in my writing, I still hope you know, at this time of year. I don't know how anybody could be a Bengals fan and not be an optimist. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. I, when you I hear to. people talking negative about the Bengals, like, you know, like Bengals fans talking negative, like in, in you know, right now it's uh, it's actually April. I was going to say March, but it's actually April now. Yeah. But, you know, sure. it's like, wait, how can you live like that? Like, <laughs> like, like I get it. When it's October and you're 0-4, you can, you can complain. Um, but you got to have faith. <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> like you got you to be thinking about, like, how you know? Even even if you don't like the moves, if you don't like the like, how could this work? Because I don't know if it's just a miserable existence to to put yourself through that for twelve months out of the year when you don't know. You know? Yeah. Well, what's the point of being a sports fan, really, if you don't have? I mean, you know, if you, if you're really that crushingly pessimistic about all this, then just don't watch. I mean, you know, it's supposed yeah. to be fun and escapist and entertaining. I mean, I know we tend to put too much of our souls into it and it hurts to get stomped on repeatedly low these many decades but still you know at the end of the day it's it's still just fun it's still sport it's still entertainment and you know the great thing about the nfl in particular is that so much can change so quickly and you can really rebuild your team and and at least make it you know much more interesting in a very short amount of time so i think they especially when you got the quarterback to do that you know and uh i i I'm not saying that they're going to be 10 and 7. It's going to be so weird to think about that 17 game record yeah, now, weird. but you know, I'm not predicting any records that uh or a playoff berth or anything of those uh, of that nature, certainly not yet, but I, I do think they'll be certainly fascinating and they'll be a team that, you know, for once most people will keep be keeping an eye on and not be just like an afterthought to the league as they've been so many so many times over these years. You know, they're gonna be they're gonna be interesting and worth discussing. And I think that's you know, at this time of year that's pretty much all you can hope for as a fan. Well that game against Mac Jones's forty ers could could help with that <laughs> for the record. So, uh, for the record, I still don't believe they're they're going to pick Mac Jones. I mean, I could, you know, wind up completely wrong, freezing cold takes, mark the tape here, but uh, <laughs> I, I'd be astounded if they picked Mac Jones number three. That would just be a, uh, a, a waste of resources beyond uh, <laughs> beyond compare. Yeah. I, I just don't think they're doing I, that. Yeah, it, 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 I 
I like Mac Jones, and like I'm really yeah, yeah. I think like, you know, like a while ago, I was like, oh, I could see Belichick taking this guy, him being pretty good. And then you start hearing things like, oh, even even Mac Jones in the first round. Like the first time I heard like the Patriots drafting Mac Jones in the first, I was like, oh no, they're not gonna do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. On. How did all of a sudden he's Tom Brady? Where, where did this come right? from? I mean, like, he's good. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, I, he's not three first round picks to move up to number three and take him there. <laughs> yeah. That's so right. it's uh, we're getting we're getting a little too excited here. Um, yeah. it's, uh, you know, we're off time. We're off subject now. That's the 49ers. Yeah, we have enough. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, we're getting really, really too excited about that guy. Like, uh, like, okay. Like, yeah, that's for sure. Yes. He didn't get that much better since the last time he played a game and nobody, you know, I mean, nobody was that excited about it. So, um, yeah. That, that and always, if Kyle Shanahan is such a genius offensive mind, uh, you're going to, is it like a, a test? Is it like you're going to take the lesser talented guy just to show that he fits your system? I thought your system fits any guy, really. I mean, you know, wouldn't you want the better, more talented player with a bigger arm? Isn't that the idea? And maybe I'm well, wrong. And, you know, yeah, if you're that much of a genius, and, you know, Ryan Finley could have been had just for moving down 30, 30 spots <laughs> of these threes. We were dangling him like a puppet. He was out there. <laughs> Didn't bite, uh, darn it. <laughs> the Steeler Killer. Always, Ryan. You're one of us. Forever. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like sometimes it's just one moment, you know? And he, yeah. he he had it. He had his moment. That was uh we're gonna we're gonna remember that for a long time. <laughs> no doubt. Uh whether whether uh you know, it's like uh oh hey, that was a good thing that happened during the Taylor regime or it's a Oh yeah, I remember back in those days when it was tough before Taylor really got it going. Yeah, you know, it'll be one way or the other, but we'll still we'll still remember Finley finally. Finley it's uh, finally it's our it's, it's our own little time. NFT that we'll uh we'll we'll be able to sell only to Bengal fans <laughs> for millions of dollars. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, Rob. Well, um, I appreciate you joining me. Uh, you know, uh, you know, giving us a lot of time here uh, covering with the uh, with the Bengals' current roster. After a couple of weeks here of free agency, um, where can people follow you in your work? Well, as you mentioned, I am a uh, staff writer of Football Outsiders, and I write uh, Bengals-centric columns for Cincinnati Magazine, generally uh, during the season, but I'll also be doing uh, something before and after the draft, so let's definitely check that out. And uh, I write in a lot of places, and uh, the best place to keep up to date is, of course, Twitter, which is at Rob Wine, R-O-B. W-E-I-N at Rob Wine, and we'll talk Bengals online uh, as much as you want, even more than we've talked today, Matt. It's uh, it's hard to believe, but <laughs> I, I still have more opinions as we're out there, so <laughs> if anybody can find me online, that'd be great. All right. Well, yeah, definitely give Rob a follow, uh, and then, you know, keep coming back here all off-season long as we, we approach the draft. Lots of great content on the channel, uh, so make sure you're, you're going to follow, and uh, you know, following Rob as well. Matt Minnick here for Cincy Jungle and Bengals Chalk Talk. Good day. Yeah, we coming for with sours. You hear the crowd, we coming for with sours. <laughs>